Hey guys, uh, I just wanted to let you guys know uh, before the episode starts that I was recently on another podcast called The Jeremiah Patterson Show. Uh, I was on the most recent episode. Uh, Jeremiah asked me uh, some uh, things about the, uh, the recent impeachment inquiry into Donald Trump's presidency. Uh, regarding a phone call between him and the president of the Ukraine. Uh, If you want to check it out, uh, you can listen to it on Anchor, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, or wherever you listen to uh, your daily podcasts. So go check that out and enjoy today's episode. You're listening to Politics Weekly. To... Uh, be big underdogs uh, in the race uh, for the uh, the presidency. One of them is uh, joining me today. We cannot survive all those systems. What's going to happen if you legalize it completely? Politics Weekly is a podcast on politics, news, and principles. So, anyways, so uh, I like I like Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, I think I think she's very likable. Um, I think a lot of libertarians like like Tulsi Gabbard. I think for that reason that probably she doesn't have the appeal, the mass appeal necessary. And it seems to me, you know, that the DNC could save a lot of time and basically say, if you don't poll higher than Andrew Yang, you're out. Mm. You know, and that. Is that is a threshold that continues to grow? Mm-hmm. Um, I think Tulsi Gabbard is also the um, one of the true anti-war candidates that are left. There's not a lot of that. Certainly, Joe Biden is not anti-war. Um, I, I highly Bernie Sanders uh, certainly has that bona fides. I shouldn't I shouldn't take that from him. Um, but I think Tulsi has this you know the credibility when it comes to the military and. It's very smart, articulate, and likable, and I'm I'm glad she made it. But I think at this point it might be too late uh, to for her campaign. And I I would just go back to if you're not polling higher than Andrew Yang, um, and and not that um, and I, and I think that's a compliment to the to the uh, Yang campaign. Um, in in three major polls, if you're not beating Andrew Yang, you're probably out at this point. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, well, uh, why don't we uh, move on? The, oh, and by the way, the other candidates that will be on the stage, for those who are wondering, are US Vice, former U.S. Vice President Joe Biden, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, uh, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, businessman Andrew Yang, uh, California Senator Kamala Harris, uh, South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh, New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, uh, former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, uh, former U.S. Secretary of Housing and Urban Development Julian Castro, and businessman Tom Steyer. Uh, but anyway, so why don't we move on then? So we're talking about the Democratic debate, uh, but uh, this week you may have missed a Republican debate. Uh, so uh, Business Insider hosted uh, a much smaller debate uh, between uh, 
uh, between two of the Republicans challenging Donald Trump, former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld and former Illinois Congressman uh, Joe Walsh. Uh, some of the topics uh, discussed uh, were gay marriage, uh, gun control and immigration. Um, those were all uh, issues discussed. Um, the, uh, the candidates also did not waste time attacking the current president, uh, saying that if he is the Republican nominee once again in 2020, he will lose, uh, according to them. Um, uh, notably absent, uh, obviously, uh, U.S. President Donald Trump, uh, who reportedly did not uh, respond to Business Insider's request um, for a debate. Um, and uh, on top of that, the other uh, person who did not uh, qualify, or the other person who, did, who could not make it, uh, was former South Carolina Governor Mark Sanford, reportedly uh, because of a scheduling conflict. Um, but what are your thoughts on the two, uh, two of the four Republicans running, uh, debating? Um, oh, by the way, uh, if you want to listen to this, the, you can watch it now on the Business Insider Facebook page. Um, right now, there's over 25,000 views since, uh, since Tuesday. Uh, but what are your thoughts on the Republicans getting together to debate? So, well, uh, debate is generally good. Um, I think, you know, some of the states, like I think Alaska has already canceled the primaries. Oh, we have a story for that. Oh, we do. okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, there are other, um, I think they're not the only ones to have done that or to made that move. But then, um, I watched about half of it, you know, um, it came out, it looks like on about the same day as the Ukraine call info was in its infancy. Um, being released, so there weren't a lot of facts there. Uh, Walsh is feverently anti-Trump. Um, Bill Weld is. He wasn't always though. He, uh, he, I I do find Walsh to be very much uh, pro Walsh. Yeah. I think he's in it for, uh, you know, uh, to increase his profile. At one point, he says he wouldn't mind being governor. I don't think he was joking. I think he wouldn't mind doing anything, you know, uh, to find his next uh, political gig. But the uh, Bill Weld is not—he's definitely a Republican in name only. I know that term is tossed around a lot, but I mean, Weld—if you look at Weld's policy positions, um, you know, he's for uh, the, the Paris Paris, um, you know, climate treaty. Uh, he's for a carbon tax. Um, he he says he's for the. Uh, tax cuts. He said he never never met a tax cut he didn't like, um, but generally his policies are progressive, and I think he's really a, a uh, an astute man with some very sophisticated thoughts. Um, but I don't think they align with traditional, um, air quote traditional Republicans because uh, I think maybe Trump has changed that definition. Um, Walsh, on the other hand, sounded much more Republican in his responses. They were, uh, some conservative responses, but his um, he stuck on Trump. I understand they were trying to pick a fight. You know, the best thing that could possibly happen to them is somehow Trump mentions one of their names. That would be you know a, a huge victory for them. Yeah. Uh, Samford, uh, I, I don't understand his candidacy at all. You know, he's, like, he's going. You know, with, I think the Appalachian Trail ended his uh, political career, but. 
Uh, he did get elected to Congress after. Sure, sure. But uh, you know, I don't, I don't think he's he's going any further than that. Um. Anyways, so why don't we uh, we move on to the next story? So on the topic of the Republican. Uh, primaries, uh, Alaska announcing that they are going to be canceling uh, their Republican primaries in 2020. This makes Alaska the uh, the next state, or uh, this makes them the fourth state uh, to cancel their Republican primaries. Uh, the other three being South Carolina, of course, the state of Mark Sanford, Kansas, and Arizona. Uh, uh, many people. Uh, or the Republican parties in those states are arguing that this is a cost-saving measure uh, to try and save uh, taxpayers' money. Uh, but the Republican challengers to Donald Trump are calling foul on that. Uh, what are your thoughts on Alaska joining uh, the list of states canceling their Republican primary? I, I, I think it's a wise move. Uh, you could say it's anti-democratic in that there are... Um, you know, there is value to holding these primaries. I, I, for the Republicans, I, I believe it is a better strategy for them to nominate Trump at this point and move forward, barring any, uh, you know, the impeachment going any further and those, those types of things. Obviously at that point, um, you know, you would, you'd want a, a primary system to be in place, but I, I, I just, none of these I can't take any of these candidacies seriously. It doesn't, they don't seem like, Bill Weld especially, uh, to me, who again, I admire for his intellect, but I just, I can't take him seriously. Uh, Walsh seems to be completely motivated by self-interest, and Sanford to me makes um, as much sense as Roy Moore, and I realize that they have their own issues and they're completely separate, but that, that just doesn't make any sense. So I don't think there's a real, if Kasich um, or Mitt Romney or you know someone with some ethos had decided to uh, primary uh, you know, President Trump, th- I think this, the story would be much different, but I don't think anyone's taking these candidacies seriously. All right, uh, well, let's uh, move on to another issue. So uh, you may have heard all the news about Congress and the impeachment proceedings, but what you might have missed this week was that there was a a government shutdown that was avoided, another government shutdown. Uh, uh, At one point, uh, it was threatened that there could be a government shutdown due to the House and the Senate not being able to agree on another spending bill. Uh, However, a new uh, revised spending bill has passed overwhelmingly in the House and the Senate. Uh, It passed in the House uh, with 301 votes to 123 votes. Uh, Three Democratic uh, members of the House opposed the bill, while 76 uh, Republicans voted in favor of it. Um, Meanwhile, in the uh, Senate, uh, the bill passed overwhelmingly by a 73 to 24 vote margin. Uh, what are your thoughts on the uh, avoiding another government shutdown? It, it is interesting. I don't think there are any... It, the Republican Party, one, one of the uh, Business Insider questions during the debate was um, alluded to the fact the Republican Party used to be, you know, the fiscally conservative party, but it seems like that 
um, horses left the barn. It, it's just, um, you know, uh, McGuire used that quote today, actually, the DNI. Uh, but um, it doesn't appear, it, it seems like the choices are increased spending on the military or increased spending on social programs. And those are where the two parties are at. And some Republicans um, feign interest in fiscal conservatives. Some still, Rand Paul, uh, probably, uh, if he's listening, would be shouting. Uh, he is in a very uh, small and shrinking minority of true fiscal conservatives that understand the power of the debt and, that we're building. And it really is multi-generational theft um, where we're, when we're, this deficit spending that we're doing is really borrowing from future generations. Uh, so I think it's good that the shutdown was avoided because I, my understanding of the fiscal realities of shutdowns is they're generally, uh, cost more than they save. You might think when the government shut down, it's not spending money, but that's not true because most of it is contractually obligated, um, either through financial instruments or through, um, you know, industrial con uh, contracts. So um, it really doesn't save money. It's, and it, so I think, therefore, it's inefficient. Uh, and it would be better to come up with some balanced uh, budget approach, but I just don't hold out hope for that any longer. All right, let's uh, move on. Uh, the, uh, the state of California now saying that they are going to sue uh, Donald Trump Donald Trump going after their carbon emissions regulations. Uh, uh, California's Attorney General uh, Xavier uh, Becerra, I believe that's how you pronounce it. If he's listening, I apologize if I'm completely butchering that name. Uh, he is saying that he is going to uh, uh, file a lawsuit against Donald Trump uh, for attacking those regulations. What are your thoughts? I don't fully understand that issue um, because I'm not sure that the position of the federal government, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure how that's not a state's rights issue. Mm. Uh, if California wants to regulate its industries within its borders, I think that's completely up to them. Whether or not you agree with the policies is a, you know, is a separate uh, decision. So. Unless there is some unfair practice or some advantage being given unfairly to, you know, a certain population, which I don't think that's being alleged, I think it is a state states rights issue, and uh, they're they're fully within their rights, as far as I understand it, um, you know, to regulate industries within their own borders. So, and interestingly, I think in California there's some uh, small movement to recall uh, Gavin Newsom mm. at this point. Uh, maybe people have have had enough. Uh, he's an, he's another uh, he's not exactly like uh, the Democrat version of Walsh, but he is very much I think running for president someday, mm. and he's building what he believes to be a progressive uh, you know base uh, around his issues. All right, let's move on then to the next uh, issue. Uh, so uh, a special election has been filed for a House seat uh, in Wisconsin's seventh congressional district. Uh, Sean Duffy, Republican Sean Duffy, uh, had said uh, that he would resign from that seat uh, after his uh, his wife uh, experienced, uh, uh, or after uh, his wife 
uh, there was a problem with her pregnancy. Um, so he has said that he will resign, or he already did resign uh, three days ago. Um, but uh, Tony Evers, the governor of Wisconsin, uh, has said that he will uh, schedule a special election for that seat uh, on January 27th, 2020. Uh, Donald Trump won that state, uh, won the district, uh, of the Wisconsin 7th Congressional District, uh, by a 21-point margin in 2016. Right now, most of the pundits are rating this race as likely Republican. What are your thoughts? I don't have thoughts on this specific race, but I do think it'll be an interesting, uh, perhaps, tell as to, you know, how Wisconsin will go in this next presidential election cycle. Um, I know, I, I think Wisconsin was a shock uh, to most folks, but I don't know that the demographics have changed. And Trump working on the, or recognizing initially, you know, NAFTA as a disaster, I think was panned by everyone except for Bernie Sanders. Um, and I, th that is why he, uh, you know, did so well in those states that were affected by NAFTA um, so dramatically. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what what happens in this race, what the margins are, and then what the district's breakdown looks like uh, within um, you know, that election district. To, and you can sort of extrapolate that from that, uh, maybe what Wisconsin looks like. I believe the Republicans are conceding that uh, generally, well, it is unlikely Trump will win Michigan again. Um, but I don't think that the same holds true for Wisconsin. What about Pennsylvania? Oh, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? And who's he? Uh, I think that comes. That might come down to the race. You know, uh, Warren is very anti-coal. Um, they're making say, they're making Biden say bad things about coal. I say they, you know, air quotes. Um, you know, he's trying to win the progressives over. Uh, I'm, I'm. I don't know that I have a Bernie Sanders mental quote in mind that is anti-coal, but I bet it's out there. Um, so. It depends on who he's running against and what those issues look like. Um, I think the, the thinking has been that Biden uh, generally would have some uh, advantage over the president in uh, Pennsylvania. Um, not sure that will pan out completely, uh, but the, it, it will depend on how far left probably he has to go. But again, as you know, I don't think he's going to be the nominee to begin yeah. with. Um, so perhaps that point is moved. Um, now, uh, recently, uh, let's move on to the next story. Uh, the pre the former president of France, uh, Jacques Chirac, uh, died. Uh, he was 87 years old. He served from 1995 to 2007. Uh, he was instrumental, uh, in, uh, uh, being, he was, uh, instrumental, uh, in, uh, being the, uh, in, uh, being uh, adamantly, uh, adamantly against uh, the uh, U.S. invasion of Iraq. What are your thoughts on uh, Jacques Chirac? Said so, also known as Jacques Chirac. Oh, and, I'm sorry, I'm not oh, French. No, no, no. But <laughs> and uh, Jacques uh, Chirac is the reason why we have freedom fries today. Yeah. There was a uh, there were there were I I think at the time there were folks that would not drink French wine. Yes. There were there were. There's a famous quote from Zell Miller on the 
RNC uh, floor when he's nominating or endorsing um, uh, President Bush. Uh, and he says, I want Bush to decide. Perry would let Paris decide, or Kerry would let Paris decide. <laughs> and um, there was, he was certainly the leader of the movement against the Iraq war. There were uh, French economic interests uh, and like any um, you know, good president, you you have to put your country's interests first. Uh, I th he was also, um, you know, a noted globalist and someone who pushed uh, the EU. Uh, he was very much um, about European identity. Um, but I I I do have to admit I had quite a few batches of freedom fries, and um, and I I don't I don't think he was very popular. Um, in the United States overall, um, he was, he really had done things, um, that on, not, it wasn't just vocal. I believe that, um, President Chirac moved against the United States in small ways, in ways that really couldn't be, um, forgiven in my mind. All right. Well, let's move on to the next story. Uh, so, uh, Staying across the pond, uh, Brexit uh, is uh, about to is uh, in the process right now. Uh, 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 England's Prime Minister Boris Johnson previously tried to suspend Parliament uh, for a month, uh, but the Supreme Court in England has uh, overturned that, uh, and uh, uh, Parliament will uh, did go back to order today. What are your thoughts on that? It makes me so sad that, you know, they had a public referendum, the public weighed in, the majority said they wanted Brexit. It's up to the government to get it done at that point. And I, I just, I feel, I feel like, you know, uh, it really is not in line with, you know, the Democrat philosophy, uh, with Democrat, you know, small d philosophy, with, uh, your vote is your voice. The nation's voice said we want Brexit. I know there's some complications. It's not as easy as you know, um, you know, breaking a contract. But generally speaking, I think it will happen. Uh, I do have some friends over there, and it's interesting, um, you know, that uh, right now both sides of the Atlantic are really having quite a bit of turmoil with the impeachment inquiry started in America and, and Brexit is all day, every day over there. We're, we're not as um, ensconced in that, uh, but my friends that are over there, it is constant. It is a constant drumbeat and it's in the news every single day, uh, whether you're for it or against it. All right, uh, well, let's uh, move on then. Um, so uh, the next story is about the, uh, the UN uh, so recently, Trump had a meeting at the UN, or he gave a speech at the UN. Uh, during his UN speech, uh, he attacked globalism uh, while also calling on other countries uh, to take initiative uh, after uh, Iran attacked a, uh, a uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, or attacked a uh, missile base in, or no, not, sorry, an oil base in Saudi Arabia. Um, he called on other countries to take initiative. 
He also uh, attacked Venezuela, the president of Venezuela uh, for what he called, quote, socialist policies there. Uh, also, uh, uh, Greta Thunberg uh, talked there. She's been getting a lot of uh, uh, attention uh, lately. What were your thoughts on the whole UN? So I like the, uh, the word UNGA, which is the UN General Assembly. I've heard that quite a few times. I've even heard uh, President Trump say it. Uh, starting with the 16-year-old activist, um, I think it's very interesting, you know, uh, you know, I applaud her courage. It's got to be very difficult to do these things. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with everything she had to say or her method of delivery, but to be 16 and given that opportunity and to take it um, is something that should be commended. Now, I, I do, you know, um, Twitter is a hot mess over it. Uh, there's many folks um, criticizing her personally and and then also criticizing the people that sort of quote unquote put her up to this uh, one of the best responses you know and then there's an, uh, an uh, um, you know there are people that say you can't criticize a child or other folks that remind people that uh, the kids from Covington were children and you know some uh, very famous uh, it might have been Ezra Klein but don't quote me on that so, you know I've never seen a more punchable face and they put a 16 year old kid up uh, which was one of the Covington kids the other, the other thing I heard was, uh, I guess, in response to um, her speech and all of the um, defense uh, of her youth, uh, the NRA's next president is going to be 15 years old, so no one could possibly um, criticize anything that they say. <laughs> um, so I, I, I think that's interesting. Uh, president Trump had a uh, press conference um, in response to, uh, you know, um, at the... UN in response to the Ukrainian, um, you know, uh, call uh, allegations, and in that in that um, press conference, I think he said they met with over eighty nations in three days, um, which I think is fascinating. Mostly one on one, according to the president, and that's what um, you know. That's what it takes, I think, to make real progress. I know he's never going to get credit for that. I think, you know, he does an awful lot of things wrong and he can be very rude. Um, but I'm willing to bet that over those three days that there was a lot of hard work put in, a lot of teams uh, behind the efforts. And and ultimately, in order to act against, um, you know, the enemies of America, right now it looks like Iran is uh, probably getting top billing, you know, you need to create uh, coalition, you know, so that you have a multifaceted approach to put pressure on these nations to behave better. Um, the Saudi Arabia oil attack was really interesting. What I think is almost more interesting is that the gas prices in America probably are up 10 cents, but nowhere near what they might have been prior to the Bush administration opening up all the oil contracts, which then were exploited during the um, Obama administration, making us the number one producer of oil in the world. And if you combine us and Mexico and Canada, uh, we're bigger than OPEC at this point. Um, so I think if that had not occurred, you would have a much different world oil market today. And it would have put us into likely recession because as oil prices rise, gasoline prices rise, which means 
you know, get our economy runs on gasoline and diesel, and you know, we have to deliver things and we have to move around the country. Uh, those are very, um, as they say, very sticky prices, uh, or very sticky goods that we really can't get around. Um, so it's it's interesting that that cascading effect of uh, President Bush opening up oil exploration and then President Obama allowing the exploitation of those uh, different areas, um, you know, sort of leads to a more robust energy economy, which allows us to absorb that uh, more easily. Now, the other interesting thing that came out of the Saudi Arabia oil refinery attack, which they're blaming on Iran because of the sophistication of the drone, and, and I think it's like marked like made in Iran on the drone. I don't think anyone was trying to hide that. It's just who launched it is, is the question. We sent um, troops and, quote, defensive equipment, uh, which is interesting. I think that's a euphemism for military equipment. Um, I'm sure that some of it was probably anti-drone and, and anti-missile um, slash rocket, uh, which is important. And I know the military now has... Um, and its anti-drone, um, you know, repertoire is, uh, is a microwave directed energy. And I think that's the best uh, current uh, state-of-the-art for anti-drone. Um, so I don't know if that was deployed in Saudi Arabia. But um, it'll be interesting to watch uh, that unfold because I don't think you've seen the response to it yet. You've just seen a fortification so that we don't lose any more, more oil output. And you haven't quite seen... Uh, the, the, the Saudis are going to be very interested in responding. Saudi Arabia and Iran uh, obviously have the Shia and Sunni elements there do not uh, you know, get along. I think that's, that's pretty fair to say. Uh, were there any other stories you wanted to talk about? I did. I, only that um, I did read the uh, quote-unquote whistleblower um, you know, complaint. Um, and the classified portion of that is is redacted somewhat, but really not not too much. And I, I think I'm just fascinated that this whole thing, it's entirely hearsay. The entire thing is hearsay. And so I don't I don't know that there's any there there. Having read the transcript of the call and having read the complaint, it's hard for me to to stretch to impeachment. And in fact, I believe Tulsi Gabbard is on record as of yesterday saying she read the transcript of the call and doesn't believe it warrants impeachment. Uh, Andrew Yang is now pro-impeachment. He's, he's crossed over. He was on Rachel Maddow this week. Um, but there are still some prominent Democrats that I believe are holding back a little because ultimately my prediction is if they can't get him impeached, which would require the Senate, it would require 40 Republicans in the Senate, basically, um, you know, to flip, so they can get a two-thirds majority, it, it is, it is likely going to work out in Trump's favor in the long run, um, much like the Russia, you know, investigation. This seems even less well sourced, and it it's just fascinating to me that the, the media. I, I don't think it's a, it's um, a coordinated effort. But I think it feeds off of itself in a lot of ways. And sometimes, you know, I just hope people look at this information deeply and they consider whether or not um, the actual facts warrant an impeachment or is this just political theater? 
All right. Well, thank you again, sir, for joining me. One. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Politics Weekly. We are here with a returning guest. He was on a previous episode. He also did the post-debate special. Uh, Mr. Scott Stalker, thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me again, Nolan. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your experience in the political field for those who are new to the podcast. Well, I've been an advisor to several campaigns and over the years uh, followed a, a number of national uh, political issues. And um, I just find it all very interesting. All right. Well, with that, why don't we uh, jump right into the news? Uh, we got a lot of news to talk about, uh, starting with the dreaded I word. Uh, so uh, recently, uh, this week, uh, Donald Trump uh, came under controversy uh, specifically for a phone call uh, between uh, him and uh, Voldemar Zelensky. Uh, who is the uh, the president of the Ukraine um, about uh, about potentially digging up uh, information uh, on uh, Joe Biden's former U.S. Vice President Joe Biden's presidential campaign and his business dealings after months of hesitation. Uh, U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, announced that they will be launching, the House will be launching an impeachment inquiry uh, into uh, Donald Trump's campaign, or into Donald Trump's presidency, uh, making this just the fourth time in history that this has happened. Um, uh, what were your, I think you probably have a lot of thoughts about it, do you want to? Sure. Well, I would frame it slightly differently. I don't know, um, because if you say, um, you know, that he's, he was looking to dig up information on his opponent, that speaks to his frame of mind, uh, which is very difficult, especially with this president, uh, to ascertain. I think, you know, I could honestly imagine it being more like he believes that there were crimes committed, and he's looking to see if there's some there there. Um, I read the transcript, I read the complaint, and the transcript reads very innocently. Um, a lot of the media has um, gotten it wrong, which is not a surprise. Um, you know, the, the favor that he asked for was for the Ukrainian president to look into the 2016 election, um, you know, issues that we had with the Russian and apparently Ukrainian um, interference with the election. That was the favor. And then he alleged, the president alleges that uh, Joe Biden's son Hunter uh, received undue favor due to the position that his father holds. Uh, so he, he further asked uh, that the Ukrainian government work with uh, Rudy Giuliani and Attorney General Barr in order to see if there were, if there's evidence of those crimes. Apparently there was a previous prosecutor uh, who alleged these crimes that in Ukraine, uh, that prosecutor was uh, replaced uh, with a prosecutor which apparently uh, didn't, uh, maybe was not going to follow up on those things. So there also is some video apparently of Joe Biden somewhat bragging about this. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really interesting. I actually think, you know, the president is the chief law and off uh, enforcement officer of the land. Not to defend Donald Trump, uh, because he certainly has enough flaws. 
he could, I think, make the case that he was just, you know, letting the facts lead him where, where they may. Now, so I don't, I don't think it's fair to say that he was looking to dig up dirt. Um, I don't know what his motivations were, though. All right. Um, so let's uh, move on then. So Corey Lewandowski uh, testified uh, in front of the House. Uh, he, uh, he testified in front of House Democrats. I think you have some thoughts about that. Oh, he, I mean, it was entertainment. Now, if you're, uh, he probably infuriated you. I imagine he's a very polarizing uh, personality. I imagined either folks were infuriated and ready to throw the remote at the, at the television or their laptop or whatever they were watching it on, or um, perhaps you enjoyed, um, you know, his testimony because he seems to be, uh, whether you think his motivations are good or bad, he seems to be very equipped uh, to defend himself and to testify. I was. I was, you know, not characterizing the testimony as good or bad, just impressed with his artfulness. Um, some of the exchanges, especially the uh, Swalwell uh, exchange, was just theater. It was, it was incredible. So, and, 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 you know, I don't know what the, what the real purpose of that was. I know they were trying to get sound bites out of him. The idea is... You have a witness, you know, read a certain uh, soundbite, and um, you know, then you can turn it into a political ad. Uh, so that's why they didn't have uh, Robert uh, Mueller read uh, from, um, you know, from his report. Yeah. Um, and Lindowski basically asked to be afforded the same uh, courtesy, and um, there was there was quite an exchange between him and Sawell, and, and I mean, it just was like watching tennis. Uh, he would ask to be re re read this uh, quote, which was his quote from the report. He would uh, politely decline and and suggest that perhaps um, you know uh, the the congressman could read the report. At one point, he was asked to answer some questions which were privileged uh, between him and the president, uh, privileged conversation between him and the president. He declined. Uh, there was a moment where someone asked, you know, to find him in contempt because of that. Uh, Jerry Nadler declined to do so. Uh, you know, so it was, it was all very interesting. And, and Lindowski is a, 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 a really a firebrand. He really, really has a lot of energy, I think. All right. Uh, well, let's move on to the next story. So uh, the next Democratic debates, uh, there will be 12 people uh, in the next Democratic debates unless... Marianne Williamson can qualify by October 1st, in which case there will be 13. Uh, but right now, uh, Hawaii Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard uh, just made the cut uh, to be in the next round of debates. Uh, she was in the first two rounds of debates, uh, but was excluded from the third debate. Uh, the, uh, the Democratic National Committee has said that they will... Uh, go back to uh, they will go back to uh, a two night debate uh, uh, format once again. This time there will be six people on one night and six people on the other night, uh, rather than the ten people on one night and the ten people on the other night. Um, however, uh, come uh, and and this debate will be a collaboration. Uh, between the New York Times and CNN. It will be on CNN, but the New York Times will help 
to collaborate to present the the uh, the debate. Um, uh, also, um, the Democratic National Committee is announcing that the next debate afterwards, uh, the fifth uh, debate question mark. Um, will uh, be uh, will have heightened uh, qualifications. So now you used to have to have 130,000 donors. Uh, now you have to have 160,000 donors. The percentage threshold is still unknown, um, but we do know that that will be. Uh, we do know that it, the qualification will be heightened in that regard. Uh, what are your thoughts on Tulsi Gabbard uh, making it into the next round of debates? Well, I, I like... Uh, you want to pause for a sec? Charlie! If you think any of this wonkiness is going to deal with this dark psychic force of the collectivized hatred that this president is bringing up in this country, then I'm afraid that the Democrats are going to see some very dark days. She is the spiritual guru for Oprah Winfrey. She made headlines for her independent run for Congress in 2014. She has written multiple books about spiritualism. Who is Marianne Williamson, the acclaimed author seeking the White House? The candidates. Keep America great. Their story. Yeah, you're always, when you're young, you're always patted on the head and told that you're the future. But I'm interested in what you can bring to the present and their fight for the White House. I have the most progressive record of anybody running. If you look at Joe's record and you look at my record, I don't think there's much question about who's more progressive. Presidential Profiles 2020. How we could actually make this government work, not just for a thin slice at the top, but make it work for everyone else. I think that, sure, if people want to specula speculate about running mates, I encourage that, because I think that Joe Biden would be a great running mate as vice president. Marianne Deborah Williamson was born on July 8, 1952 in Houston, Texas to Samuel and Sophie, the youngest of three children. Williamson is of Russian descent. Williamson, who was raised in a conservative Jewish family, Williamson became inspired to become an activist during the Vietnam War when she participated in protests. After graduating from high school, Williamson started to take an interest in mystics and spent her 20s unsure what to do with her life. She dropped out of college in 1973. She moved to New York to peruse a career in singing. However, she developed an addiction to drugs. She would later suffer from depression. Williamson has credited the book A Course in Miracles for turning her life around. Though she became fascinated in Christianity, Williamson has said the book did not convert her to the church. She returned to college and ran a bookstore on campus. She bought a $1,000 apartment and was roommates with future actress Laura Dern, who was 17 at the time who states that Williamson who hold prayer groups in their living room. Williamson got a job at the Philosophical Research Society and started a lecture series about A Course in Miracles. At first, few attended her lectures, but as word spread, Williamson saw a spike in attendance prompting her to rent more church space. Williamson took off, and in 1993, she published her first book, A Return to Love, 
Reflections on the Principles of A Course in Miracles became a New York Times bestseller for nearly 40 weeks and caught the attention of Oprah Winfrey. Williamson would later become Winfrey's spiritual guru. No, you are the best prayer I have ever known. Thank you. Thank you. In 1993, Williamson published A Woman's Worth. The book became also became a New York Times bestseller. She also published Illuminata that same year. The book became a USA Today bestseller. Williamson founded Project Angel Food to help people with AIDS and HIV. The project proved to be a success, raising $1.5 million. She resigned controversially in 1992 with rumors that gay activist Steve Schultz forced her out. She had a secret marriage with an unknown husband for a number of years before getting a divorce. She had one child during that time. In 1998, she started the Peace Alliance to promote prayer for liberal intentions. Williamson has proposed forming a U.S. Department of Peace. In 2007, she published The Age of Miracles. Embracing the New Midlife, the book became a USA Today bestseller. In 2014, she officially dipped her toe in politics. Hi, I'm Maryam Williamson and I'm running for Congress. I'm running for the U.S. House of Representatives, California District 33. Running for California's 33rd Congressional District in the U.S. House of Representatives, Williamson ran for the seat being vacated by Democrat Henry Waxman who had served for 40 years. Running as an independent, Williamson gained endorsements from prominent Democratic politicians like former Ohio Congressman Dennis Kucinich, former Florida Congressman Alan Grayson, former Michigan Governor Jennifer Granholm and former Independent Governor of Minnesota Jesse Ventura. She raised over $2 million but only received 13% of the vote, barring her from the ballot. In fall of 2018 however, she announced her candidacy for president in 2020. That her goal is to make New Zealand the place where it's the best place in the world for a child to grow up. And I will tell her girlfriend you are so on, because the United States of America is going Thanks. to be the best place in the world for a child to grow up. Williamson has received polarized reactions for her stances on vaccinations, antidepressants and reparations for black people. She gained traction after her debate performances. She now hopes to be America's first woman president. For more Presidential Profiles 2020, keep it right here on Politics Weekly.